Welcome to Your Team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. We are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today we are talking with our friend, Betsy Jewell. She's the host of the High School Hamster Wheel podcast. Check her out. She's actually sending her oldest kid to college and asked us if we would answer some questions for her. So we're gonna talk all about the experience of sending your first child to college. But before we talk to her, we're gonna fess up to some things that didn't go so well. Uh, I would say, Steph, I don't know if you agree, but well, there's nothing to agree here because Betsy said to us, God, this made me more nervous. (laughs) And I was like, oh God, we failed our friend. We never wanna do that. Our goal is always to make people calm down about a topic that maybe they're overly excited about and college in particular. It's like one of our big missions. Like let's, let's reduce the stress here. So I thought about what are the ways I could have said things differently? Because we do believe you should get the information beforehand because you're going to be more prepared and you'll just know when it happens that like, I'm not alone and I'm not weird and all those things that we, we really feel strongly about. I'm going to try, hopefully we're both going to try to give over some of the information with like a little bit of a pivot on the angle, the, the tone, all of those things. And then we'll have to get back with Betsy's response, <laughs> which way helped her more. So, which wasn't as bad. <laughs> oh, I hope I hope one of them helps her for sure, for sure. Okay, so Frank Bruni has a book he wrote in 2016, and it's the title is "Where You Go Is Not Who You'll Be." And so, one of the things about that idea is that where your kid lands, you can decide to make that the place you should be. Like instead of ruining the the rejection and and thinking like you didn't really want to be here. You can show up ready to take that experience and make it the most of it. And the thing is, some kids do it naturally and some kids don't. But I think all of us, I think even as adults, that's true, just, just the way we look at the world. But I think all of us can change that when we kind of go approach something a little differently than approaching it from rejection and disappointment to What do they have here that I'm really, really going to enjoy? So I want to say that as parents, for our kids, we can help them with that. Because when we're super disappointed about the outcome, I think that, you know, that's just, it it permeates the, the air quality. And so instead, just kind of having a moment where we are disappointed and, and don't deal well with the rejection, but then moving into, so how is this going to be great for you? Let's talk about how you're going to make the experience great. That's my number one. Okay, I like that. So my number one is about um, just taking stock of kind of where they are. So like, there's so much time spent on like, oh my God, like, you know, I wonder where it's going to be and where where you'll be a year from this August, September, blah, blah, blah. But just like taking stock of where they are in that moment and the fact that like, you know, like her kid knows where he's going, right? So like recognizing that they made a decision, like, honey, that's so great. Like, you know, there was this whole big process and like, now you know where you're going. Like, let's just like celebrate that. Like, that's so great. Like, it's almost like a, like that you can take like a pause in the whole thing and it kind of puts you in the the seat with them. So I would say like maybe like some um, savoring the moment before they even go off to school, recognizing where you are, that they got there. It's nice, celebrate it. Even if it wasn't their first choice. Like, 
I'm going to say you'll miss them. I'm not sure that's true for everyone, but I'm going to say, like, from my perspective, I knew I was going to miss them, and I didn't know I was going to be okay. And people said I would be okay, but it's super hard to believe that. But what I want to say right now is that it was deeply sad for me. It was weeping sad for me, and yet it was okay. So what I can say is with certainty in my life, I don't know if it works this way for everybody. The recovery was much quicker than I would have anticipated. So I think that I do deal with my grief and sadness in anticipation, anticipatory grief, but I could not believe how quickly it became okay. Like seeing that there were new opportunities, talking to my kids who were in college about their experiences. And it went from like weeping sorrow to like, this is okay. So I don't know if you're sitting in my shoes right now and you're really, really stressed about the whole thing and really sad, if you can hear it. But as many people as tell you it's going to be okay, in terms of, not in everything, I don't mean about everything, but that we adjust as people when other people are not in our space as they were before. Like we just do make those adjustments. And there's many experiences that we've all had where we know we adjust. So that's that's my the way I want to frame it. Not that you're going to be so sad, <laughs> but that you might be so sad, but you're also really going to adjust. <laughs> okay, this is so funny. So I'm going to read you the sentence I wrote. You're going to crack up. It's okay. And it will be okay. And it's okay to be worried about being okay. <laughs> so it's exactly the same sentiment. And I wrote down, it's kind of like when you get, when you give birth, you give birth to a baby, not a toddler and not a teen. You know, you, you get a baby, but I'm going to go off of that one because it was too similar to yours is I wrote in big letters, you are still their mother nothing's going to change that. And I think there there's this narrative about, oh boy, like they're going off to college and everything changes. And yeah, I guess things change. But like, so they left on day, you know, on a Wednesday, on Thursday, you're still their mom. Like you still get to be part of their life. And I think that thinking that it's going to be this, like that the rug's going to be pulled out from under you. That is not the case. I want to say that I didn't know this. And I... I think we all have to know it even more now than um, than ever before, because there is so much focus on prepping your kid academically and making sure that they they are that the resume looks like what it needs to look, and and that's all of us. Like we're all looking toward college from such a young age and thinking, you know, what language, what instrument, all of these things that positions you better for college admissions. But once you get there, the statistics are scary about how mental health issues are just higher than they've ever been. And so I don't want to scare you because that was not the goal of this. But what I want to say to you, if you have a kid in high school right now or younger, have an eye toward academic success and emotional wellness success. There are things that we talk about all the time, like almost every day on our Facebook Lives and on our podcasts and in our articles about giving our kids the tools to navigate the bumps in the road because they're inevitable. And I think now is even more important than ever. We're so in touch with our kids. We need to be arming them with coping mechanisms so that when they get to college and these things happen, because they will, that they know where to turn. So to me, it's it's like 
comforting to know that there are steps to take to do better than we've done in the past. And so I hope that's not a scare tactic. I hope it's more mm-hmm. of a like, take a moment now and, and read some of our stuff, listen to experts, and just think about what could you add to your day right now where it's just like arming them so that when the roommate doesn't work out, when the first grade come back, comes back, when the overwhelm sets in and it's like, I don't want to be here. Like, do they, do they know how to reach out for healthcare professionals? Do they have people in their life they can talk to? Do they have tools to like calm themselves down or recognize how they always respond to things? So this is typical. I go crazy and then I calm down, whatever it is. Now's the time. <laughs> so I had something uh, that skates up next to it. So um, I put lowering expectations all around your own and your kids so that when it goes to the same theme, it's the same theme <laughs> all of your teen for 14 years is um, I hope, like you just said, Sue, I hope it's preparing them and not creating these college is going to be the best time of your life. And And I often think back to One of my kids had a teacher in high school that I thought this was so well said. For that kid's 21st birthday, I had people submit little videos and we put together a montage for him. And we reached out. He was really close with this particular teacher. He had coached him and stuff. It was so interesting. He talked for about two minutes. And I thought, where is he going with this? And he said, you know, it's funny. People often say, oh, it was the best four years of my life. And he's like, you know what? I actually don't think of it that way. I guess I think of it as a series of ups and downs. And I thought it was really well said. And I and I think it's a great expectation to set. Like, yeah, there'll be some great ups and then there's going to be some downs too. And I think, <laughs> I think it's true for us too as their parents, but um, maybe level setting this summer, spring and summer before they leave. Okay, up next is our conversation with Betsy Jewell, who like flips the stage with us and, and interviews us. And hopefully you'll get back to us with like, you know, did we do a better job in our opening of, of lowering the anxiety? We can't wait for you to join us. There is no hood like parenthood. When you meet a fellow parent, you just kind of get each other on a whole nother level. Hi, I'm Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm a former CNN journalist, mom of three, including twins, and host of That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast. I interview change makers on their life lessons, legacy, and superpower of intuition, aka their mom sense and dad sense. I've had some pretty amazing parents on my show. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Episodes release every Thursday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Join my tribe at thatstotalmomsense.com and follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm thrilled to be on this journey with you. feel like your mind doesn't have an off switch or the tension is constantly traveling through your body or do you feel tired no matter how much you sleep that's just a few of the many ways stress anxiety and sleeplessness can harm your mind and body so this year why not make small changes to your daily routine that can have a big influence on your mental health and well-being start your year with headspace 
Headspace is scientifically proven to help you manage your feelings and your mental health. In fact, a recent study proved that in just two weeks, two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. Whether you want to relieve stress and anxiety, sleep better, or improve your focus, Headspace is your everyday dose of mindfulness for real life. And I know for sure that I need to reduce my stress. My stress is a running reel in my brain that doesn't stop about things I'm anxious about, about things I'm not anxious about, about stupid things that I don't know why I'm thinking about them. And when I sit down and turn on Headspace, I do get this feeling of a clear brain, a brain that is calmer. I feel less anxious. However you're feeling, try Headspace at headspace.com slash your teen and get one month free of their entire mindfulness library. This is the best Headspace offer available, so go to headspace.com slash your teen today. Headspace.com slash your teen. Betsy Jewell is a career exploration specialist for teens and young adults and is the host of the High School Hamster Wheel podcast. She is our new best friend and a fellow Evergreen podcaster. Thank you so much for joining us once again, Betsy. Okay, so one of my biggest questions is about communication. I can't be that mom who texts him every single day at college as much as I am going to want to. How did you manage that? How did you keep in touch with them but not smother them? What I would say is, I was desperate not to be my mother. And that was like over-investing in her children's lives. And so I said to my kids, when you want to talk, call me. And that worked really good for some and not for all. Like some of them felt like, you know, you could call me sometimes. And I was like, oh, I mean, I'll call you. But like I was trying, I mean, I was so overcorrecting from what I perceived to be too much and we also have a we, our, we have a family tradition where every Friday every kid calls. So I knew at least once a week I would hear from everybody, and that still continues to this day. And I think, like I've heard from a lot of people, Sunday night was the day that they call home, and that their kids they've set up the same system where, like you know, you can call in between. There's no rules that you you can't. I'm not saying from your perspective. I'm saying from your kids' perspective, they can call in the middle of the week also. But at least you know every Sunday that you're going to talk to that kid, you're going to get a check-in. And your kids all stuck to that and still do? They do. They call every Friday, yeah. All day Friday, I get phone calls. It's very lovely. Oh. No, it is. It's such a, it fills my heart. Like, and I, I can't, I have to check off. Like, okay, I didn't hear from so-and-so, you know. <laughs> Ours has been, I would say like really varies by kid. I think I, we've kind of stuck to the, <laughs> they, I would say a lot of times they typically call, us. And I wasn't, I think I was thinking how like a lot of it followed their patterns from high school. Like, you know, I have friends whose kids text them like 20 times a day. I never had those kids, but they were always living in my house. So at some point I saw them, right? <laughs> but I would say we just try, try to follow their lead, semicolon. <laughs> so they called, we, you know, whatever. But then if we've got one who does not love to chat. And so I really try and just call him when I have something to say or something's going on. But it's funny because my husband would be like, oh, we haven't talked to him like all week. And I'm like, is anything different? Like, do you have any? I was like, because he's going to be kind of like, eh, 
You know, and I do find like when he has stuff to say, he calls. Or if we have something going on that we wanted to like, oh, hey, we were looking at vacations or something. But he's not the like, so how was your day? How is that? Like, he's not that chit chatter, (laughs) which I can respect. No, I have a harder time respecting that. I've had to work at that. Like I have a kid who is happy just to say, hey, you know, like nice to check in. And I'm I'm still working at being satisfied with that. That like, but I need the I need the weekly check-in, or I'm working at not needing the whole story of your life. Like, did you how did you feel at noon today? Are you still <laughs> feeling good? You know, like I mean my my deep desire is to be brought into their the recesses of their heart, you know, but that's not happening. That is really not happening. Oh, wait, I have one thing I want to add that I just remembered that I think was maybe brilliant in retrospect, but there was no brilliance on the forefront, is that when our oldest left for college, we always FaceTimed him. It's just what we did. And the other two were still in the house. And it's so interesting because the other two, same thing, like when they call, it is only FaceTime, which is kind of nice to get your eyes on your kid. And it was, again, kind of unintentional. It just started with the first one. But I'll, my equation is like, I would take less calls and texts for FaceTime. Like, I like being able to see them. Like, that somehow, like what Sue was saying about filling her heart, like that for, for me checks off a box on all of them. Because I feel like I see their like how they're posturing and just their faces, and we know them so deeply And I forgot about that. I always said to my husband, I'm like, oh, that was so good because the others just think that that's, quote, like how we do it. And they just kind of followed suit. Yeah, I like getting eyes on them, to your point. Like you can see, you can see their, you can see if they're just out of Like I would totally rather have that. Well, and speaking of the other kids in the house, so when the first one left, obviously it changes the dynamic in your house a lot. How was that? And how, I only have two kids and- when the first goes, the second is going to be left behind big time. So what was that like? And how did you help those kids? I remember a friend telling me that her youngest of three, who was going to be home for five years, told his parents that he wanted a family meeting. So the three of them sit down at dinner. And he, he's, this is right after the second one leaves for college. And he says, the next five years are going to be the best five years of your life. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I would say that when each each kid left, it left room for another kid to really flourish. I didn't anticipate that because I was just sad that they were leaving. But that next kid kind of got a chance to like not be in someone's shadow, whoever that was. And the last one, which will be your situation now, was in my marriage for four years. Like I was literally the right. one who had to say, like, can I come? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I agree with that, Sue. I feel like the, um, yeah, you get to see each kid like almost as like a firstborn at what it would have looked like, which is so interesting. And flourish is a good word. Yeah, we experienced much of the same. When you sent your first off to college, what was your biggest worry? Oh, God, I was such a mess. I was really a mess, a mess. And I thought it was totally normal. I still stand by it. I think there's plenty of moms who are a mess when their kids leave for college. I don't know that I was worried about her. I think I was worried about me. I mean, it was like such a breaking of my family unit for me and something that I I cherish so much that I couldn't imagine one leaving. And what does that do to the rest of us? And it was short-lived because 
the anticipation for me is oh much oh, always so much harder and you know you you start to see like i think my fear was that she was leaving us and then when i got that first co- phone call i was like oh my god of course she's still in our lives you know like this is not the same as it was before but it's still a very deep and strong relationship just in a different way so i i do think like for for parents who are really suffering you know, it's like we ad- we adjust to really crazy situations. We adjust to this also. You know, like life changes on us all the time, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. And we we just have the ability to adjust to it. We don't think we do in the beginning, but we do. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I think he'll be fine. I'm going to be the one who's a mess. What about you, Steph? I think I was worried about him just, I don't know, like, just managing it all, you know, like what that was going to look like, you know, managing on his own. I didn't worry about, it's funny. I didn't worry about him like meeting people or stuff like that. He's really easygoing. I figured like friendly. I, I didn't worry about that. But I think I worried about like, would he be able to just juggle it all? And what what would that look like? And I didn't really, Sue and I talk about this a lot. Sue, Sue's worry or anxiety leads up to it. I don't have it leading up. Mine hits me later. Mine is more like when they're coming home for breaks and then leaving again. That's where mine kicks in. And I start to get like anxiety about, oh my God, now they're leaving and my stomach starts to hurt. And what does that feel like? Like I have like a delayed reaction to it. So mine is, yeah, harder on me later. Like, I think I have the excitement for them at the beginning, and then I have the reality later. Because you have to keep saying goodbye to them over and over again, Exactly, exactly. And then there's the first time that they say to you, okay, I'm going home now. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) Ugh. And you're thinking, this is your home. Yeah, (laughs) But it's a really healthy thing, by the way. There's nobody who wouldn't agree that it's a really healthy thing when your kid feels comfortable enough somewhere else, but it is a knife to the heart. Totally. Well, that's not making me feel any better. (laughs) (laughs) And you didn't tell us that we were supposed to make you feel better. (laughs) Yeah, right, because we we, we have a whole different narrative for that. Wait, hold on. Let let us go get that script. We didn't realize that. Hold on. (gasps) I thought thought that was a given, that this was about making me feel better. Okay, let me wait. Let Let me just say that when your kid says things like, I'm going home, that you should pat yourself on the back with a little tear in your eye and know that you raised a kid to go off and live on their own and know how to navigate the world. I mean, that is what we are charged with. And that's what's so hard to do. And so you should just really celebrate it, even though your heart's breaking a little bit. Yeah, I'll give you another line that my my oldest says to me all the time that he remembers me saying that I barely remember, that he asked me if I was going to cry when he left. And I said... I would cry more if you stayed. Meaning that it was, kids are supposed to go on to the next step. That if he were staying here, it was probably, and I'm not talking about going to college. I'm going talking about going to whatever it is at age 18 when they're ready to leave home. I said, because it would mean that maybe something else was going on where you you know weren't ready to do that or something else was holding you back or something we didn't anticipate. So I feel like, you know, I know this is supposed to happen, but he remembers me saying that, which is so funny. I think that I was always keenly aware of not wanting to burden my kids with my emotion around them leaving. Like they should go off free. When my youngest left, 
my husband and I both wept like babies. And I finally, I just turned to my son and I just said, we are insane. We will be fine. And we want you to go off and forget about us and go have a good time. Like, this is not normal. And we are fine. (laughs) (laughs) We will get in the car and be totally fine because we were insane. The two of us were feeding off each other. Like, we, you know, we, we, have, we really, I mean, it's different with one kid. Like, they really are part of your marriage. There's no way around it, you know. By the way, I've told this before. Someone had said to us, when you drop your last kid off, have plans. And so we had a ticket, airline ticket. We were fortunate, but there are many other ways to do something. But we went to visit our kids. And somewhere on day two or three, we said, have, have you spoken to him? And I was like, no, <laughs> like we literally forgot about that child and moved on to the others. So. <laughs> and that was good advice. Sue had said that when our youngest left for college this year and Sue was telling that story. She's like, Do, remember what I had, you know, what someone told me, I'm telling you about planning something. And we did, we planned something for like maybe a week and a half or two after she left. And uh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was so good. Well, and you guys are veterans now. You've sent multiple kids off and out into the world. What do you wish you would have known? What was like the one thing that nobody told you or prepared you for before you first left? You know, I always think about that. What do you wish you'd known? My biggest thing in parenting is middle school. I wish I had known what middle school would look like. Sending my kids off to college, I really, I more felt like, you know, it's so trite to say, I felt like I wish I'd known I was going to be okay, except that everyone told me I was going to be okay. So (laughs) it, it didn't really matter that people said it, I felt I couldn't get to that, wrap my head around that space before it happened, but then I could easily do it after it happened. So, you know, there's some things that it doesn't matter how many times people tell it to you, you have to just experience the pain of it. And in, in terms of other things, I guess what I would say is college is so much about, and people say this all the time, this is not my quote, it's so much about what you make of it and not where you're at. And so I, I just really always encourage my kids to take advantage of what was offered there. Don't sit in the sidelines and just, you know, do do classes. Make sure you're doing other things and getting involved and meeting new people and, and take advantage of it because it's what you put in. College isn't like people are coming knocking on your door and saying, you seem, you seem a little like you have some free time. Would you like to join our club? It's not happening. You have to look for it, which isn't easy for every kid. Yeah, that's hard when you have a kid who's not a joiner. That is so true. That is so true. I wish I had known, although maybe I would have been more anxious, <laughs> um, how <laughs> this generation really never quite leaves. Like, and, and then throwing COVID, right? Like they are back and forth and back and forth. Like it's so different. I feel like our generation was like, you went to college and you were barely home and then you got a job and you moved out. And there was none of this like, I feel like they always have like one foot in, one foot out, like, you know, just lots of comings and goings. And I think in some ways that makes it a little easier. It makes it feel, I think it would have made it feel less like, oh my God, they're leaving and never coming back. Like it's so far from the truth. Yeah. I keep wondering if he'll return for holidays and summer breaks and things like that. Cause I know once internships start and relationships start and there's other places. I got most of my kids for two years. Like they'd come home freshman year and then they'd come home sophomore year. My fifth one just got a job offer today that's going to take him out of state. And this is his junior year, which is kind of when all my kids did that. They look toward what do they want to be doing after college? What will help, you know, give them an experience to see if they actually like what they're majoring in? 
So I, I think I did, I don't know if, what will happen with your kid, but I did get them home for breaks and summer for like at least two years. What about any words of wisdom for me to give my kid as he goes off to college? Like, I love the part about get involved, just don't go to the classes. It's it's about so much more than classes, but I don't know. I feel like- I think the biggest thing is, I don't, you know, I don't know how big the school is that he's going to, but you have to create your world. Your world is not going to be a thousand people. It's not going to be, I mean, you walk into these places and nobody's helping your social life. And it can feel really lonely for people when they get to college, especially this group that has had like two years of not the typical socializing. And so finding a way to make your world smaller, whether you're faith-based and you join that religious community or you have a robotics passion and you find something, you have to find a way. I mean, I think that's the whole thing about frats and sororities, which I don't advocate, but I think what that's doing for people is artificially creating a small world for them. Not even artificially, they are creating a small world for them. So if that's not your gig or you're not going to a school with Greek life, find another way to do it. But you're going to be really lonely if you don't find that space where just showing up gives you a circle. I have two pieces of advice. One would be your freshman year roommate is your first friend, not your last friend. You know, all you have to hope is that they, you know, you're going for coexistence. Anything else over that is fantastic. But you're just going for respect and, you know, you're sharing space together. And there's a good chance, you know, if your son has his own room and that kid had his own room, which a lot of kids do these days, you know, you just have to learn how to share space. And that's really what that's about. And I think it's more with girls than with boys is what my experience has shown is that, you know, a lot of these kids go off thinking, you know, person's going to be my wedding and my best friend and that you're right because they can all talk beforehand and social media and blah 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 but I set that bar really really low so there was only one way from there was to go up because the expectation was so low I think but the other thing is um, to keep your dorm room door open when you get to school keep your dorm room open and that works on both sides like so that when you walk by a room that has an open door that you smile and wave and when you're in there and somebody walks by that you look up you know and smile That's great advice. First of all, I'll just tell you that the summer before, my oldest, for sure my first, maybe my second, we're leaving for college. She turned around at one point in the summer and said, enough life lessons. (laughs) (laughs) And so I had that list of things I hadn't gotten through yet or wasn't certain that she'd absorbed. And I was just like following her around going, don't forget this. So I I think your window is closing in terms of the (laughs) messaging that you're going to give your kid. But I will say, like, I do believe very much that we should be sending the message that make the most of the situation, have a great time. And if it doesn't work, which means like giving it a year, it doesn't mean giving it a week, you're not stuck there. You're not trapped there. So for some people, that means trying a new place. And for other people, it's literally that it takes six months. And don't evaluate. Someone's told me don't evaluate college until after Thanksgiving break. Because it's lonely. It's hard. The transition is hard. So telling your kid, and it goes towards Stephanie's comment of setting the bar low. We talk about college as if it's going to be the time of your life. And I'm so glad it wasn't the time of my life and that there were other times of my life that were better because I don't want to hit, I don't want to hit my pinnacle in the four years of college and it's downhill from there. So I I do think some people really, really love college. And some people get through college and it's all okay. It, none of it should lead to despair. Like everyone is having fun but me. And I think social media really 
exacerbates that problem because it does look like everybody's having fun but me, but everybody's struggling. It's a really hard situation. You know, it's much easier to be an extrovert and go if you can comfortably go up to people and meet them, it's so much easier. But there's a lot of our society that are introverts. And for them, that's why I think joining is so important for the introvert, because they don't have to call a friend to go do something. They can just show up and they're connected around a love of an activity. And I think it makes it so much easier. So true. All true. What do they really need to move into the dorm room? You know, we, I don't need to go to Bed Bath & Beyond and like... Exactly. Having a boy is very different than a girl. The girls like design the room with their roommates as if oh like in, they want to be covered in a magazine. And my the boys were like, oh, I need... One of my kids was in a room where there was a bunk bed and you couldn't take the bunk... It was, it was a setup for, I think, a triple, but there were only two and you weren't allowed to remove one of the beds. So it was sitting in the middle of the floor. Like it was just... And it was a small dorm room. And I'm like, well, you know, what should we do? Oh, we're fine. We're totally fine. We lived the whole semester. <laughs> That's <laughs> typical men. boys. Totally. Right, typical. Right. Yeah. Nothing. They need their Nothing. clothes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whereas exactly. girls need girls need everything and boys need nothing. Well, they want to make it their home, that room. They want to make it cozy and whatever. And yeah, my boys, they lived in such raunchy places. And, Ugh, same. Disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> One of them didn't want me to see where he was living. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to see. So regarding safety, did you worry a lot about your kids' safety on and off campus? You know, we all have these tracking devices now on everybody's phones where we can see where they are all the time. And no, I'm not going to do that because I'll never sleep. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, how did you, how did you, now I hear when he comes in and goes to bed, right? How did you get used to that not knowing that they're okay? Can I jump in? I have a piece of advice someone gave me that I didn't use till the third kid because I forget she told me after the first one and then I forgot for the second, but I did it for the third, is that you should have their roommate's contact info. And I think that's at my, uh, a friend of mine, her kid had was born with a heart defect and she had a very scary situation happen freshman year. And she's like, why didn't I have the freshman? Like if I would have had his roommate, the roommate could have looked over and been like, yeah, he's breathing. He's fine. And I thought that was a good piece of advice. And so we did, and with, you know, our last one, we just said, you know, like, hey, I'm never going to use it, but I just want to have it. And someone told me to get the dorm RA, like whoever that is also. Like, oh, that's you good. know, can't reach. But um, I didn't have trouble with that, Betsy. It's it's ironic. I worry much more when they're in my space than when they're out of my space because I don't know what to worry about. So I'm really good at like, I had a friend who every single night, her kids texted her to say they were in bed and they're in college and I was like, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want, I just don't want to be that attuned to like what's going on and where they're at and, and then worry if they're 10 minutes late or any of that. I, I just didn't go there. I'm very lucky. I didn't have reason to change that, you know, like nothing happened. And I want to say, thank God, thank God, thank God. But I didn't do any tracking. I didn't do any of that stuff. I just kind of put my trust in their street smarts and, you know, I, I dropped a kid off at college where the the um, instructions to the kids were, when you walk outside of the dorm, don't turn to the right. And I was like a little flipped out about that, <laughs> like because to the right was the city and not safe and things things happened. But I also had a kid who wasn't going to turn to the right. So, you know. Yeah, I was similar. I didn't I didn't track don't track any of the kids because I think it's it's very binary for me. Like I would be it would be too hard 
I just can't have it. <laughs> Be too hard for me. Yeah, I say, I wouldn't want to know like the one the person you said their kids text them every night when they're home. That would be way too much for me. Like I, because then you're right. If it were they were ten minutes late or they forgot, then you're expecting it. I'd rather not expect it. What about when did you did either of your first or any of your college kids call you within the first semester and say this is a mistake? I'm coming home. Oh, that's such a good question. I didn't have it. I had kids be really sad, but I think that the first one might have been the most likely to do it, but she didn't have that personality. So she would just call crying. And that was, of course, torture, like horrible to hear and know that you couldn't fix it. They weathered their storms, you know, and I I don't know why they went with that armor on them and why they were able to. But, you know, we're going to be talking about this in Destination College, like, Mental health issues in college right now are soaring. And so when we have our kids home, we really need to be paying attention to giving them the tools to navigate situations that are inevitable, right? Like you're going to be lonely. You're going to be sad. Do you know the number for mental health? Do you have a, another adult? If you don't want to call me, you feel comfortable calling. Like, you know, just kind of giving them some resources so that they never feel like they're really all alone. Yeah, I think that's really well said. I was thinking about the difference between, we've talked about this a lot at your teen, like, you know, are you alone or lonely? Like, you know, trying to find those differences. And and again, I think this has to do with setting the expectation, realistic expectations. Like you are going to be sad and you're going to, you know, Instagram is going to look like everybody's having a good time. I, I, I remember a friend of mine, like the kid was super lonely and having a really hard time. And, you know, the mom was telling me about it. And then I remember the mom's telling me the story and I'm like, wait a minute, what time did she call you? And then I remembered seeing a picture of her all happy out at some party 15 minutes before she called the mother. But she couldn't see that she was putting the same thing out there that every other kid was putting. Like, it was just so funny to me. So I think, you know, that setting up that expectation, like, yeah, you know, it, 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 it could be a really slow burn. <laughs> you know, it's getting used to a whole new way of living. And, you know, there's going to be everything's new, you know, the classes and the roommate and, you know, every situation. And it's funny, I just remembered we did our oldest, his first semester, he was saying things like, I wonder if I, if like Miami would have been a better choice. And I would just say, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, and just listen, like, and not jump into the, oh my God, does he want to transfer? Oh my God, did that, like, not trying to fix it, you know, again, a very your teen lesson, but just listening to them ruminate about like their own decisions and settling into it. And I think there's probably, you probably have to build up a muscle on that one, right? On like just listening and validating and like, yeah, first semester is definitely a lot to get used to. So I want to add one thing, Betsy, because I I was talking to one of the experts who's going to be on Destination College and I said exactly what Stephanie said, because, of course, she and I have talked about this for years, like encouraging our kids that it will get better is kind of our motto. And she said, with a really important qualifier, is you need to know your kid Mm. and you need to see your kid, which goes to both of your comments about FaceTime, because you're going to know whether it's deep despair and you need to intervene or whether it's like, my kid doesn't transition well. I, I've, I know this look from before. I know that it gets better within a month or whatever. And you're not freaking out because you saw them and they look like themselves. So I, I, I felt a little funny after I talked to this woman because I 
think I'm more casual about some of these things. And maybe it's because I didn't, I didn't worry about that for my kids. The mental health crisis is so severe right now, and schools are so ill-equipped to deal with the, the, the surge in numbers that it does fall on us as parents to keep an eye on that. So when they're going through like the really normal transition, which can look like, like really, really sad and really, really lonely and really maybe I'm in the wrong place, sometimes those things are true. So, you know, it's like, I, I want to say, you'll know your kid, hopefully, and you'll be able to discern, like, should I be the parent who says right now, give it a little more time. You know, you're not trapped there, but give it a little more time. It's a really rough transition. Or is it like, I need to come down there. I need to get you set up with mental health services, or you need to come home, whatever it is. Yeah, that's the tough part, right? Even as well as we know our kids, because I've heard parents say, I had no idea mm-hmm. that he or she was experiencing mental health challenges. And they hadn't before, you know, they hadn't emerged in high school or whatever. And to your, it, it's a huge transition. And some kids thrive in the change and other kids don't. So communication, 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 yes. which, <laughs> yeah. And we know, I know I can't, you know, hover and snowplow and helicopter and all that, especially we've spent their whole life preparing them to go out into the world. We have to let them. I, my head knows that. It's my heart that says, but, but, but he needs me. So Betsy, I, I know that we don't know you for a long time, but I also know we became best friends instantaneously. And so what I want to tell <laughs> yes. you is what everyone yes. told me. You, I mean, I really look at you and I know you are going to be fine. <laughs> You're going to be fine. It's, it's a rough transition for well, us thank and you. for them. Oh, I think it's going to be much harder for me. I'm convinced. But I also know that he can't see me fall apart because that's not fair to him. That's my stuff. That's not his stuff. Yeah, that's much more mature than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Call me on move-in day. We'll see how it's going. I'll just tell you, my oldest daughter took a gap year before she started college. And at the airport, with um, she was traveling with her friend who, and the mom was my good friend. And we were crying so much that the security guard started crying. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So what's the one thing that you say to your kids over and over again, and they're tired of hearing you say, but it's really important for them to know before they go off into the world? Okay, mine is super simple. I, I say I love you every time I end a conversation. And I worry sometimes that it loses its meaning. And my kids will go me too or whatever. But every once in a while, a kid says back the full sentence. And I just feel like elated for that moment that I get a full-blown I love you back. So that's, that's what I want in their ears when they're walking through the, in their, in their heart everywhere when they're walking through the world, that their mother and father love them. Oh, I love that. Mine is, I always have your best interest at heart. Because they never believe me when I say that. When I always say, they my, they never believe me when I say that. When I say, this is for your own good. Like, this, I'm, it's, it's, I'm trying to do what's best for you. They don't want to hear it. Betsy Jewell, it was really fun being on the other side of this conversation. Thanks for being our interviewer. And we can't wait to talk to you some more. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. 
If you're someone who reads an article and thinks of that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. Please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about your team with Sue and Steph. And do us a favor and review and rate the show on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.